gonna use my cutting action to hide now. Yeah. <laughs> I run. in New York City. I'm your host Shane. And I'm your host Ishan. And welcome to episode 85 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, we're talking about that sweet spot when PCs are strong, but not too strong. But first, the rogue traders make better negotiators than the warband ever did in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign. And later, Conan peaks early in the character creation forge. All right, just our usual friendly reminder, there are t-shirts available with the Total Party Thrill logo from tpublic.com. Have we not run out yet? No, they never run out. Oh, wow. They just make more. It's like an everlasting rations. Mm Mm-hmm. Or a a well-stocked bag of holding. Something like that, yeah. Bottle of t-shirts. Anyway, there's a link in the show notes. And Wizards of the Coast is continuing its, well, weekly rants by releasing more unearthed arcana this week we'll be talking about traps oh boy i've got to say um the first like half of this document like it's 13 pages on traps that's a lot Uh, the first half is just a few extra traps they're called simple traps um it's almost like a treatise that someone decided they wanted to write about like what is the philosophy behind traps (laughs) (laughs) Oh, look, you need to have something, you need to have a trigger, and then you need to have something that happens, and then you need, you need to have a way to, like, make sure that doesn't happen. And then there's, like, four or five examples of, like, really boring normal traps. Hey, there's a burning hand spell that happens when you step on a pressure plate. Blah, 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 whatever. It does, however, get more interesting when it comes to complex traps. These are almost like creatures in and of themselves or or i guess um layer actions that happen on their own Mm -hmm. um yeah it's like a layer action with no monster to trigger it yeah exactly uh they can go on three different initiatives they can go on uh 10 if they're slow 20 if they're fast or 10 and 20 if they're very fast yeah and then you've got situations where i mean i'm a little worried that some of these are going to be way too deadly but you know we have to see in play there are effects that happen on those initiatives but then there are also constant effects that happen to anyone within a particular zone at the like end of that character's turn so it's quite possible that some of these higher level traps are going to be doing something to a character three times per round yeah they can be kind of nasty like the the very first one here, the uh, Path of Blades has a rune of fear on the end of it that would force you back through its trap. Yeah, I, I actually love that. There's like whirling blades for like 80 feet and then 50 feet of pounding pillars. And then as soon as you make it through, the rune of fear is like, nah, back yeah, you yeah, go. Exactly. Get out of here. <laughs> I like how they have sort of taken the old 4e skill challenge model that like we have a sort of a love-hate relationship with and applied it to these traps so the complex traps you can't disable with just one skill check you need at least three per section so if you want to disable the blades you got to do three successful things there maybe that is like you know stopping the mechanism maybe that is attacking a blade or something like that uh you need to do three other things with the pillars uh, assuming that you know you don't just sort of like run straight through it and like deal with the damage and then three like dispel magics or arcana checks or religion checks or something to handle the rune and all the time in there the attacks are either getting more deadly or uh, more often or, or there are the trap itself is not static it is reacting to what the players are doing and like how successful they have been. I actually really enjoyed that. It's a bit more paperwork, but it makes something like a trap like a full-on encounter. Yeah, I this is a this is an interesting approach to traps. Simple traps are lame. These are like combination trap puzzle monster mm-hmm. 
without actually having a monster present. Yeah, and there's some really innovative ideas here. I really like the Sphere of Crushing Doom, which at first seems like that big boulder from Anina Jones. Mm-hmm. And you're like, yeah. oh, well, okay, you get crushed once or you dodge out of the way and then it's gone, right? Yeah. Nah, the bottom of the hill, there's a portal that goes back to the top Trust of the hill. To the top. <laughs> <laughs> and it just keeps picking up speed. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> classic yeah so there's also a bunch of pages about designing traps Mm -hmm. uh, designing complex traps because i think designing a simple trap is basically just a a table right what level of spell do you want to trigger with this trap yeah i do like how um similar to the dungeon master's guide there is a table that says okay at these levels if you want a trap to be, you know, like a, just a hazard or you want it to be really dangerous or you want it to be deadly, this is the approximate amount of damage it should do and like the approximate attack bonus it should have. Yeah. So that's handy if you want to sort of like design a trap on the fly or something like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, just using the complex as the model, right? You could take maybe a pair of monsters that would be an appropriate challenge rating for the party and just turn them into a trap, turn their mechanics into a trap, mm-hmm. right? And it, But instead of working on their hit points, they've got to work on some secondary disabling mechanism. If you're going to use these traps in your game, though, uh, it certainly looks to me, just at first glance, that the threat levels that they're applying to them are totally accurate. Like, the Poisoned Tempest Complex Trap is a straight-up deadly threat for a party between levels 11 and 16. And it certainly seems that way because there's really no way out of it except by spending multiple rounds standing in a room filling with poison hallucinogenic gas. Love it. <laughs> yeah, a nice thing about this too is if you're not playing D&D, these traps are really cool flavorful things that seem like they could be easily adapted to other systems. Yeah, totally. Like It doesn't need to be coming out of like a snake idol head. Yeah, right? yeah. as long as you've got a concept of attacks and a concept of skills, you should be able to use them in any system. Right. So for the most part, I think this one is actually pretty cool. All right. So Shane, where are we in the Dynasty Unwarranted campaign? So last week we met the party, Doc the Explorator, Draco and Trank the Arch Militants, Echo the Voidmaster, Flare the Astropath, and Trix the Seneschal. And they... uh they tied up some loose ends from the prologue adventure. We killed our old party. You killed your party from the prologue. Which was awesome. I mean, terrifying at first because that party was built as like combat beasts. Yeah. And we were built as a well-rounded party that can negotiate with people. Mm-hmm. But you had the uh, the advantage of surprise. and Th- you That's right. And they had also been blown half to Pretty hell. wounded, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so you got the command from the uh, Imperial Inquisitor Bones to execute the remaining members of his inquisitorial warband yep. for their incompetence. And uh, and you did that. You blew up your shuttle in the process, but that's okay. You had a backup. One more backup. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now and, we're down to one shuttle. And what did you decide to do with that backup shuttle? Well, I mean, we're here now at Nova Bella. I believe we have to fix the mess that the previous party caused. Well, technically, you just cleaned up the mess. <laughs> they were the mess. <laughs> well, okay, we're rogue traders. There's loot to be had. That's true. <laughs> From what I hear, there's an entire planet down there that needs to reestablish trade with the Imperium. Mm-hmm. Uh, and probably needs to have a substantial excise tax levied on them as well. Well, I mean... By some sort of intermediary who may be at the right place at the right time. Perhaps, if they could provide some, you know, mechanical equipment that could help with the yield of the uh, the ration bars that they produce. All right, because we were terrified of our former party, we blew up one of our shuttles. But we do have another one. So we get on that one after, you know, spending a bit of time healing up because basically now half our party was blown to hell. Right. <laughs> <laughs> rested up got on our shuttle and said you know what let's go down and make some money because that's what we're here to do you are rogue traders you are somewhere between pirates and merchants we prefer the term the term privateer 
Uh huh. Yeah, mm-hmm. somewhere between private, <laughs> between pirates and merchants. <laughs> we have a warrant of trade. This is legal. This is your job. That's right. You're trying to expand the Imperium. Mm-hmm. And this has been a lost world for 17 years. True. Yeah, we are doing good in the, in the Emperor's name. So, you took your shuttle down to the surface of Nova Bella and asked for an audience with the planetary governor. Much more nicely this time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Fortunately, he. <laughs> had just had a recent run-in with a group of ruffians who didn't take kindly to being told no. So he said, yeah, yeah, I'll meet you. I'll yeah, meet you. he did. <laughs> uh, those those ruffians are now dead. They were the Inquisitor's war band. You're, you're welcome. Uh, so, yeah, so you had a negotiation, and basically you came to terms that, uh, you know, the challenge for Nova Bella was that they had an imperial tithe to meet, and they would struggle to do that because they still used outdated, very um, labor-intensive, farming techniques and you said hey if we bring you better equipment and and mechanize your farming you can produce more rations which you can then use to fulfill your tithe and you'll have some surplus which you can give to us (laughs) and we will trade that throughout the imperium uh for you know your benefit and ours and that sounded like a great deal to them so we agreed and then only a little bit later, once we were alone, said, okay, where are we getting agricultural yeah, equipment exactly. from? <laughs> we we don't know anybody who has extra nope. ag equipment. Uh-uh. We don't know how to make it, and they don't have anything we could fix up. We don't even really know anybody who needs rations right now. Yep. It's very like a, a Zelda quest. Kind of, it's, yeah. Yeah, I'll take this seashell, sure. I'm sure someone in the future will need this. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but you had the deal. So it was time to go set it into motion. So you headed back to the ship, back to the His Enduring Light, and, you know, contacted your Inquisitor. Said, hey, Bones, sir, uh, we have completed the task you assigned us. We have killed your kill team. Nova Bella looks like it's in good shape. Uh, Are we done here? And he said, look, you did a good job. I will free you from my service. And I have a little bit of information for you that you might find useful. He do love information. He says, there's an Imperial Navy frigate that has been issuing a distress signal. The Navy is kind of out of position to respond to it. And if you got there first, you would almost certainly earn your way back into the good graces of the sector fleet. And we said, thank you, Inquisitor. That sounds like a great lead. And made preparations to head directly there as quickly as possible. And we'll find out what happens next, next week. So this week, we're talking about the Goldilocks levels. So what exactly are they? Well, in most RPGs, you start out as a level zero dirt farmer. You've got a broken sword, cracked armor. If you're lucky, you've got a crossbow with a few bolts and maybe a couple spells per day. At that level, the game is usually pretty lethal, and success depends a lot on luck. On the opposite end, though, near the end of a campaign or at high levels or, you know, in some games you just have lots of XP, PCs have nearly unlimited options, right? They have tons of methods to overcome whatever obstacle the GM throws at them. They've got Wish or high-level reality warping or crazy friggin' artifacts and magic gear. Or a literal army of followers and henchmen. That's right. A whole nation. (laughs) So they can really feel indestructible. But right in the middle, there is a sweet spot where the party is strong enough to hold its own against those more mundane threats or, you know, just crappy luck from the dice, but not so tough that they can completely ignore physics or shrug off what should be a pretty deadly attack. Yeah, so given an RPG, there's that sweet spot where most people, players, and GMs agree this is the most fun range of the game. Yeah, so this week we're talking about how to get the most out of the sweet spot. So historically, like parties just kind of sort of stumbled into that Goldilocks zone, right? Early RPGs were really deadly at the beginning, so you lose a lot of characters in the meat grinder early on. But of course, eventually, some of them would survive long enough so that you would actually have like a campaign where the game became about exploration or maybe even character goals rather than like just trying to stay alive through this one session. Of course, I think, uh, Shane, you probably remember... Uh, at the same time, there a lot of games just sort of fell apart at later levels. Uh, oh, yeah. 
What level was your uh, boule encounter? Level one. Level one. Okay. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe that's maybe that's an example of the opposite. It did not so, fall apart at later levels. Yeah. <laughs> it's just too deadly right at the beginning. Yep. Okay. Most of my games, when I was a teenager, uh, we get to like level seven in AD and D. Like as soon as any of the casters got baleful polymorph, then yep. they would just turn everyone else into like a frog because they were just being dicks. Yeah, that's a uh, that's the dying point of D and D forever. Is been polymorph and yeah. baleful polymorph. <laughs> <laughs> but of course, like you know, it didn't. This didn't just happen in games where teenagers are playing. Like. A lot of games fell apart between levels maybe 7 to 12 because people are just starting to get bored. Yeah, it's it, it takes a long time to get there. So your your many game hours, you know, real-life hours devoted to the game. And a lot of times plots start to go crazy around that point mm-hmm. where it's just like there's either too many threads or conversely there's not enough threads and you've been on the rails the whole time, right? It's been dungeon to dungeon to dungeon and there's there's no overarching plot to keep everybody interested. So either players don't have a clear direction to go in and they're confused and frustrated or they're just being led along by the nose and they don't really care to do that any longer. Yeah. Or any obstacle you come across, Mordenkainen just deals with. Uh-huh. Cuz he's got a spell for that. Well, Elminster's kind of more that guy. <laughs> And in the early days of RPGs, even like if you were a melee fighter, if you had the right gear, you could handle anything. You know, Lord Robolar didn't really have problems. Like, yeah. You just whip out the right magic item. Right. Of course, 3.5 didn't help at all. Melee, no. Yeah, melee characters were always crap. Yeah, I, I mean, this is where the linear fighters and quadratic wizards problem came from. Yeah. So like even before level 10, casters were in charge of the game. I think it was level 6, you could get natural spell as a druid and then just do all your normal casting, but also in the shape of like a dire bear. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so that it spawned uh, this system hack for 3.5 called E6, Epic 6, which tried to preserve that sweet spot at level 6 when everyone was still like more or less kind of equal. So PCs stopped leveling at level six and from then on any new xp that they gained could be used to buy new feats but they couldn't gain an additional level Mm -hmm. fourth edition recognized that there are different tiers to the game and it broke it into three of them there was heroic paragon and then epic and paragon you know levels 11 to 20 was specifically meant to cater to those experienced but not all powerful pcs so like perseus who can kill a medusa but still needs to prep a lot to make sure he doesn't get turned to stone Compare that to something like Hercules, who, like, gods couldn't even kill when he was a baby. Yeah. Who's really more like, he's epic. Right. Yeah. Like, actually a demigod. Or like Achilles. <laughs> right, yeah. Like, <laughs> called shot to the heel. That's the only thing that's yeah, going to take him exactly. out. <laughs> yeah, and, well, what 4th Edition also did well was it traded out older powers for new ones. Mm. So your breadth didn't grow crazy unmanageable which is the other challenge that games can have at higher levels is you just have too many options right yeah like just there's so much paperwork right Mm -hmm. yeah a game like e6 you know you have this tight finite group of abilities and then you know every once in a while you add like one feat right which i honestly probably doesn't give you another option but makes you better at something you're already doing right and now fifth edition we've got pretty well demarcated lines of the, the different tiers so at fifth level the power jumps as extra attack and third level spells come in at 11th level there's another tier of play where fighter gets his third attack and fifth level spells come into play and then there's also 17 which is that uh you know epic tier of ninth level spells and uh everyone running around crazy and good luck killing your players right they have wish yeah <laughs> Yeah, a bunch of subclass features kick in at 11. So that sweet spot in 5th edition is probably levels 5 through 10. You know, they players don't have access to teleportation spells. They don't have those damage immunity spells. And they don't have wish. Yeah. But they do have tactical choices to make mm-hmm. each turn of combat. Like, everyone can do multiple things that are useful. And they have to figure out the best thing to do in that situation. Yeah, they probably already have multiple uses for their bonus action. Uh, they've got their subclass online and they probably even had an opportunity to do a bit of multi-classing. Right. So we're not 
right now necessarily advocating for like hacking the system to like keep play between levels five to ten we're just talking about being aware that the game hits this kind of platonic ideal of dungeons and dragons in these particular levels like the things that your players expect to be able to do with a character that they're dreaming up usually finally comes online somewhere in these levels yeah ideally by fifth level you want your character to feel like your character Mm mm-hmm Also, from a GM perspective, the CR system, the challenge rating system, is typically better balanced around these levels. Like, a lucky crit doesn't necessarily kill a player outright at level 5. Yeah, but an assassinate might. (laughs) Yeah, it might. (laughs) But that's what assassinate is for. One-shotting characters. And then, you know, also you don't have a wizard casting dominate monster to completely negate a dragon turtle encounter. You can also throw CRs that are high enough to avoid those kind of traps at your players without them being completely overwhelmed. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, like even just going from level one to two, you basically have double the hit points. By the time you're getting to like level five, level seven, you are exponentially more durable. Right. So when you are GM and you're you're planning sessions within this sweet spot, Uh, remember that your players have invested in these characters for probably about 10 sessions because you remember leveling happens much more quickly at like levels one two and three yep and they're probably going to spend about 20 solid sessions of gameplay in this level tier which is a like a big chunk of a campaign and that's even assuming that you're going all the way to level 20 yeah, and the PCs are beginning to come into their own. Mm-hmm. Especially like we build the character creation forge each episode. That's almost always a multi-class. So those combinations and like more complicated archetypes are starting to really take shape. Yeah, even if you're like if even if you're doing level 1 fighter, level 2 sorcerer, like I want to be able to fight and cast spells. Like at level 1, you're just a fighter, you don't have any spells. And you're not a great fighter yet. Yeah. Like, you, you barely feel like a fighter. You're just a guy with a sword, really. Yeah. But at level seven, you know, you can be fighter five, sorcerer two. You've got a decent spell selection, and you've got extra attack. Yep. Or even just a straight bard, like a lore bard six, finally has, like, enough skills and spells to really feel like, like I'm a, an accomplished diplomat, and, like, a an organization or even a nation might actually call on me and expect me to do a good job. Yeah, or like the rogue has like that satisfying number of sneak attack dice. <laughs> right, like like a good handful. Yeah, like yeah. like you're at four plus your, your weapon die, and like that that feels good to roll that many dice at a time. Yeah, and you know, even if a few of them roll low, it's not like first level where you're like, and I sneak attack for one, one, one extra more. point. Yeah. Great. Mm. Double ones, nailed it. <laughs> In game, the party also starts to get noticed by more powerful entities. Now, maybe that's political allies, but it could also just be enemies who are starting to go, huh, these could be a thorn in my side. Yeah, you have greater access in the story, right? It's not just tied to like, oh, you can answer a wanted ad in a tavern. It's like, Mm -hmm. oh, you can go to the mayor of the town and have them actually respond to your advice because you fought orcs a lot. Yeah, the party has a reputation. Right. They may even have a name. Actually, they may have had a name the whole time, but now people are like, Oh, I think maybe I've heard of you. Yeah, it's like, oh, that's cute. You have a you, you named your adventuring party. It's like, oh yeah, those guys. Yeah, <laughs> the Red Hand. I get it. <laughs> Star Lord. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay, my name is Peter Quill, <laughs> but I prefer if you'd call me Star Lord. <laughs> so, as a GM, you want to start bringing all of that into the story. You know, they're getting approached to solve those problems easier than like having to go out and hunt for those plot hooks. It might be that like, they're getting attacked first so that they don't get involved in something. Yeah, and people care enough about what they do to try and actually undermine them mm-hmm. and, and, and trick and trap them. Yeah, you've got enemies, enemies with a capital E, mm. like people who are looking out for you because they want to murder you. You. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, going back to our, our form of the three-act structure that we talked about 70 episodes ago probably i think you're right uh this is like act two right this is where you're starting to reveal the larger plot after we know who the characters are 
and they're exploring the larger world. Yeah. Uh, from a world building perspective, like these earlier levels were where you were sort of setting the stage and being like, okay, here's where you are and here's how this works. Right. And right now, your characters probably have a good grasp about how things work. So let them run around and do stuff. It's like time to leave the starting town. Yeah. Head on to the capital. <laughs> Sharn. Yeah. <laughs> so how about running these games? Because it, it's not just about planning. It's actually at the table is a different experience for the GM. Yeah. Uh, I. It's actually kind of fun and even a little bit easier because most games are written. They're, they're built with these levels in mind. Like this is the time... This is the time in the game where you're most likely to be able to rely on the standard advice that you're getting from the book. Yeah, so one thing that immediately becomes apparent is that the players have many more options and they are going to be able to solve problems in ways that you hadn't thought about without you having to just kind of, okay, sure, that works, like, great. <laughs> like you know like th they can really come up with clever ways to circumvent challenges right like prior to this you couldn't guarantee that they had a 10-foot pole right because they may not have had enough money to buy a 10-foot pole <laughs> exactly or they had one and it broke and like you didn't go back to town right you know so if you think about it like at lower levels when you're the gm you need to determine a very specific way for a task to be resolved because you have to make sure that the party has access to it Right. So like if you introduce a monster that has a magical poison and the only way to like counteract it is with the neutralized poison spell, well, you can only introduce that if your party has access to the neutralized poison spell. Yeah, there had better be a scroll or a potion or a healer in town who might be able to handle that for them because if, if they're not going to make it to one of those three things after they get poisoned, they're just dead. Yeah, you screwed a party member over like... <laughs> Look at the swarm of rot grubs. Yeah, okay. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, we talked about that in the Volo's Guide issue. Yeah. They will wreck you if you don't know what you're doing with them. That's right. So you can't fairly use them unless the PCs have a way of knowing how to address the challenge. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, at higher levels, like you can expect that the party will have a way to cast, like for example, Greater Restoration. You know, Even if no one has that on their spell list, like they can figure something out. So you can, again choose something very specific that solves this problem mm -hmm. you know the only way to do this is to cast this particular spell yeah you don't need to worry about the beholder turning somebody to stone yeah even if they don't have stone to flesh like they're gonna figure it out yeah. they're level 16 or they'll just like carry them around for a bit until they figure that out right? yeah shrink i put them in my pocket yeah <laughs> like they're safe that's cool but in the sweet spot your resolution can and probably should be non-specific because the party might not have a particular ability, but they can probably have something that'll like work in its place. So don't pick the one spell that'll solve it. Just say, this is a problem, and let your party come up with ways that could reasonably or feasibly deal with that issue. Yeah, and then in addition to that, you've got enough flexibility because they're strong enough that they can try a suboptimal plan without just getting wrecked immediately yeah right like, like if, if the rope breaks yeah it's like uh, great we're all screwed no it's fine you know it, or it's like you can just let them start down a path and and improvise because it's you you've got some margin of error as a player yeah and it's easier to improvise because they don't have literally everything that they could possibly think of at their disposal correct right? oh i'm just gonna teleport back and like grab our dragon buddy and then we're gonna come back here yeah yeah <laughs> it's great to not have to deal with that <laughs> so like they gotta they gotta get to the other side of the castle wall great maybe one or two of them can fly someone else climbs and someone else turns into a gecko perfect i didn't need to come up with any of that like you guys figure it out exactly it's a castle wall this is also i think and i don't know shane you might disagree with this this is a time when i think that you want to lean toward making challenges winnable for your party like this is the time where they first start feeling like they're actually heroes and they're capable of accomplishing something you know they're they're not diving to hide behind furniture as soon as it seems like there's going to be a bar fight so i i do agree yes and i know why you think i wouldn't or you might suspect because <laughs> you're a <laughs> no so so yeah so you want them to feel like heroes for a bit uh if just so you can knock them down a peg later yeah Right, and and that's why you think I probably don't like letting people win. 
it's because I enjoyed knocking them down a peg afterwards. <laughs> but you, you have to have some buildup in order for them to then be fairly reminded that they're they're not the end-all, be-all, right? It's still a dangerous world. Yeah, you got to fluff them a bit first. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because this is also the time when you're going to start hinting at more powerful adversaries on the horizon. And those adversaries are going to take notice, right? You're a big enough thorn that I will now look at you. You will have the eye of Sauron upon you. Yeah, or at least searching for you. Right. And, you know, this is the second act. You are setting up Act 3, which is where all the crazy stuff happens. That's going to be your mad dash towards a final showdown. <laughs> Wait, toward the volcano? Yeah. Why are we doing that again? <laughs> what about the eagles? Wait, that doesn't work? Yeah. <laughs> Needed more creative players. <laughs> Tolkien was a lousy D&D player. It's true. No, actually, he was a lousy GM because he would have just said, no, that doesn't work. I mean, he let them split the party for like forever. Oh, yeah, true. Yeah. <laughs> More work for him, man. So then as a player, right? Because truthfully, I've probably played in this level span more than I've GM'd. Mm-hmm. It's fun because you get to try out all these new abilities and you get to start making combos, not just with the other players, which you can kind of learn, but also within your own abilities, yeah. right? Like this is where you're... you're combo sets start to show up yeah you get you start getting these awesome abilities that are force multipliers for your other abilities right you right. know like okay hunter's mark that's neat wait but with extra attack this is awesome yeah or um you find those more creative like more arcane kind of multi-character combinations as well like the uh the grappling barbarian holds the holds the target prone while the rogue sneak attacks and the fighter uses commander strike to give him another sneak attack. Yeah. You know, it's like <laughs> all of a sudden three of you acted, but you took down one enemy using a cool ability from each of you in one round. Right. And it's like, whoa, we did it. We pulled it off. Yeah. Let's name it. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and we'll call that the alpha maneuver, <laughs> the squat thrust. <laughs> repeat it's uh it's our workout of the day <laughs> yeah when you are a player and you're trying out these new abilities i really like to make sure that like the very first time i use like a new spell or like a class feature like the first time i attack twice with extra attack i don't i try not to at the table say the name of the ability right like i don't say oh and i swing again because like i have extra attack now i like to describe what happens I I swing, you know, and I like I hack one goblin apart, but on the back swing I come down and like I swipe at another one, which is like not a thing that anyone else has seen me do yet before. And then later I can explain, oh well, yeah, I have extra attack now, so like I can attack twice. Yeah. Like that's why that that happened in the story. Because remember, this is probably the first time that in game the other party members are seeing you do this as well. So, like, it's kind of cool for them to be like, oh, whoa, holy crap, how did you do that? Or, like, what spell was that? Or, why are you casting magic? Yeah, I love that. <laughs> uh, and it's something, um, like, that happens really easily at con games with, like, pregens. Um, if players aren't referencing names of abilities, right? Like, you do have that moment after a fight where it's like, how did you do that? It's like, oh, yeah, that's my, you know, my elemental affinity or whatever. <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> whoa cool <laughs> you know <laughs> oh i used over channel of course <laughs> <laughs> whoa i also like to remember that like in game it could be a surprise to your character that this is happening you know like maybe you've multi-classed and like they've studied with the wizard and like now your fighter has like magic initiate or whatever mm -hmm. but maybe it just sort of like blossoms from within because you're like your sorcerer heritage is suddenly like been called forth and you didn't even intend for it to happen yeah it's like uh like that moment in fury road when max gets shot with the crossbow and he's like he's been haunted by the the little girl's face and he keeps raising his hand and then she appears and he suddenly raises his hand gets shot through the hand by the crossbow but it saves him from being shot in the face it's like that's your shield spell right <laughs> holy crap <laughs> how did i do that <laughs> from now on yes Every time a character uses shields, well, you you do get shot in the hand, but it's fine. Yeah, <laughs> it's worth it. Or or it's like you know if if you have that like a, a warlock who's connected to a, an outside entity, right? Mm -hmm. Like it's that's that entity speaking into you that's granting you that ability. Yeah, 
Wait, what do you mean it's dark? I can see just fine. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and then because, you know, we talked about because the players have a, a larger margin for error, you can also take more risks as a player, right? Uh, one bad round or one suboptimal tactical choice doesn't mean death for an ally or even the whole party. Mm-hmm. And it's important as a GM to keep this in mind too. If you have players that are going to want to do more kind of flavorful and fun and zany kind of tactics rather than straight hard tactical minis combat, then you probably want to ease up on the difficulty of the challenges so that they have even more leeway to do that. Yeah, especially the beginning when they're just beginning to learn how to use these new abilities. Yeah. But if you've got the, you know, the rogue who's going to be swinging from a chandelier if you can find it. Uh keep in mind you might not want to throw full encounter levels at them. <laughs> Dude, we're expecting you to sneak attack. No, it's cool. I dance. <laughs> expertise in performance right (laughs) so when you're transitioning into these levels it's good to signal to your party that something's different things are changing you know they're becoming more competent and one good way to do that is to have the party face an old enemy or you know old enemies right a named enemy or maybe just another band of goblins something that they fought before and have them just fare much much better yeah this is a nice way if somebody got away right Mm. they come back for their revenge and they just get wiped yeah or if like you always have to travel through the woods and like sometimes you know know that there are roving packs of wolves like they've dealt with that before that was really difficult you've got to go through the woods again there are more wolves oh wait a minute like we we mopped them up in two rounds yeah and then you stop dealing with the wolves (laughs) yeah right right. don't ever bring the wolves back okay okay so there's wolves you deal with them on your way and you just narrate it (laughs) right it's easy yeah (laughs) I can't wait in Dark Sun until we hit that point when the desert is that way. Oh, man. Do you think it ever will happen? No, it's never going to be that way. (laughs) The way the scaling works. I'm going to roll D20s till we die. (laughs) (laughs) You can also have your PCs return to a previous location. Uh, You know, maybe NPCs take a little while to recognize them because they've changed so much. Or they have an outsized reputation, like uh, like Jane and Firefly returning back to Jane Town. Mm-hmm. Right, like what he did was not a big deal when he was just a young thief, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> but now that he's returned back, you know, they made a statue of me out of mud. <laughs> mud. <laughs> I am level five. <laughs> and it's a good time for the close of the first arc of the story. You know, the party returns successfully from whatever it is they needed to do, or you know returns having failed and buries the fallen and then needs to recruit those new members or get recruited by the next party yeah yeah depending on how many survive (laughs) (laughs) but the tone should be all right like things didn't go so well but we've learned from those mistakes we're stronger now and now we think like now we can handle this or we can fix this okay so you've gotten into this tier of play you've gotten to level 10 you're about to hit level 11. How do we transition the party out of this tier? Well, hopefully for the last five levels as a GM, you've really been seeding those plot hooks for the higher levels of the campaign. Yes. And you want to have ideas of how they all tie together as well, right? Mm-hmm. Even though the party might not know that yet. <laughs> right. <laughs> Just bear with me. Bear with me. Stick to it. Right. We're going to get there. And then you also want the party to have sort of enjoyed being successful in these sort of relatively low-level tasks, right? Uh, not changing the shape of the world, but changing maybe the shape of a, of a town or of a country. Mm-hmm. But near the end of this time, as they're beginning to transition to the higher levels and outside of the sweet spot, they should come face-to-face with something that they can't handle or that they can just barely handle. Yeah, or they fail in stopping some scheme that they've been working against right so maybe in like a like in a spy type game right the rival agency does actually win out on the race for the informant right and it doesn't even necessarily need to be something that is the player's fault right like they don't need to have rolled low or something it could just be a plot point that happens to show them that yeah you're big fish but there are still bigger fish out there right I mean, maybe not so heavy-handed as George Lucas. What do you mean? He had actual big fish in uh, Phantom Menace. Oh. 
they got, they got we're about to get eaten by a big fish and then another bigger fish just cut this it's fine <laughs> all right so for example your party might be away and actually succeeding and you know saving someone or like retrieving the MacGuffin. But when they come back, the entire city has been burnt to the ground by a dragon while they were gone. Whoops. There was no way for them to stop that. They didn't fail. It's not their fault. Right. But guess what? There's a dragon. Yeah. Sometimes life just, you know. Dragons, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then it's also good to mark this transition with a new quest, right? Um, Let's kill the dragon sure or let's uh let's chase down the macguffins that will allow us to kill the dragon yeah maybe we should get stronger first and yeah. then go kill the dragon <laughs> right <laughs> or or maybe this is where they realize that it's not just about the dragon it's that the dragon is being controlled by an ancient lich and that mm. the lich is controlling lots of powerful creatures and causing bad stuff to happen all over the world and they need to stop the lich yeah level 10 level 11 this is a good time to finally reveal oh this is the person who is really behind all the terrible things that are happening. Yeah, this is the guy behind the guy behind the guy. That's right. That doesn't have a face. That's gross. Right. I don't judge, but that's gross. Also, he's got one hand. (laughs) One eye. I feel like I should have heard of this guy before, but I have put (laughs) zero points in religion. (laughs) Right. Or history. (laughs) Maybe maybe you should uh, hold that hand for a while, see if it helps. (laughs) Maybe you should replace your hand with his hand. <laughs> <laughs> Look at this hand. Still good. <laughs> you know, I read about it in a scroll I found in this temple. Right. <laughs> devoted to the elements. Uh, yeah, the the um, the neutral and evil elements, right? The, the temple of elemental neutrality. Right. <laughs> I'm sure what it said. Right. I, I also I'm... put no points into languages. <laughs> pretty sure i mean i don't speak primordial right yeah (laughs) but it looked like primordial (laughs) which is like always neutral right exactly elements are neutral never evil no evil elements who even heard of such a thing all right outside of evil elements (laughs) what are some of the pitfalls of playing within the second tier of play well uh the multi-classing system or like any system where you're you can take abilities from like outside sort of a main class or know job well it's it's really it's any system that assumes you'll specialize Mm -hmm. but allows you to go broad right that means that some characters aren't going to hit those power jumps at the same time or like as early as the game expects them to hit them so if you're that fighter sorcerer gish no matter what you're delaying extra attack beyond level five yeah i mean even if you're like a blade singer you don't get extra attack to level six or uh bard for that matter right yeah also six and you know if you're dipping for features necessary to make a concept come together it means that everything comes online just a bit later and if you need multiple concepts to like make something really happen like you don't want to just be an assassin in 40k but you want to have like some tech skills as well uh, it could actually be much later before you're like as competent in your main job as like a a non-multi-class character would be right yeah and so as a as a player you want to keep this in mind when you're building your character right when you make those decisions make sure that you're keeping an eye on what tier of play you're in right and that's something that we try and do in the character creation forge but then also as the gm you also want to note the realistic power level of your party right if no one has third level spells by the time you get to level five you're not really a level five party yet even though you can do other things, you might not be able to deal with the challenges that come with CR 5 and 6 and 7 monsters. Yeah, no one has the spell magic. No one has fly. Yeah. How do we cross a 100-foot chasm? <laughs> ropes. Lots and lots of ropes. Yeah, this will be fine. I took expertise in athletics, so I think we'll be all right. <laughs> <laughs> I took expertise in tools, rope making. <laughs> I turn into a spider and slowly spin something. Right. <laughs> Very slowly. I'm feeling this pretty hardcore in our Dark Sun game right now. So sometimes you just need to like suck it up because you have a concept and you really want to see that concept through. Yeah. You know? But like I have a psionic druid who like is trying to be really good at like melee combat. So, you know, it's basically a druid fighter, but I've got other classes for dips. 
I'm probably not going to get my first ability score increase until level nine. That's five levels late. Yeah, and I'm not I'm not going to get third level spells until level eleven, maybe level twelve. That's six, seven <laughs> levels late. Yeah, but I can do a bunch of different things, so like I'm I'm happy with it. And you know, it's Dark Sun. I may not live that long. Yeah, and we also, I mean, we have a party of six, sometimes seven characters. So like, we've got coverage. You know, no one is in a niche. Yeah. Uh, yeah, my my Dark Sun character was the same way and then i decided to stop leveling evenly and went way deeper in rogue because it got me back on pace faster oh really yeah so i was i was gonna go wizard 10 rogue 10 and now i'm gonna go way deeper in rogue and just kind of lay off a wizard i was a psionicist wizard but how far are you going into wizard now uh probably get third level spells okay i think, think 14 6 is the split Okay, so you're going to depend more on those sneak attack dice than like the int bonus later on. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm. That's cool. And I mean, I'm using my first ability score increase for the skilled feat. So <laughs> it's like, do you know you're playing Dark Sun? Do you know? <laughs> Are you sure you don't want to just dip three levels for Bard? Or... <laughs> I would never put the character that I'm currently playing in Dark Sun like on display for the Forge because it's just, it is not at all in any way efficiently optimized. No, Dark Sun characters are so heavily weighted, our Dark Sun characters anyway, are so heavily weighted towards constitution and specifically yeah. con saves right. because of exhaustion in the desert. And what do we need right now to survive? Exactly. <laughs> We've made <laughs> lots of those decisions. <laughs> all right, so what are the takeaways of the, the Goldilocks levels of any given system? I think the the best thing about them is that they exist. You don't need to do anything except keep playing to get to them. Yeah. You know, so once you're in them, like, just have fun. Like, this is, quote, unquote, the way the game was meant to be played. Yeah. And if you're going to slow down your leveling, do it in this area, right? Yeah. Don't mm-hmm. stay at level one for six sessions, oh, right? Stretch out level five because yeah. level five is awesome. Totally. Level seven. Oh, yeah. That's when you get that polymorph. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> the other thing is, and you should do this ahead of time, right? But consider ending your campaign at level 10 or level 11. Yeah, you can just tell a smaller story. It doesn't mm-hmm. need to be world-shaking scope, right? You can have a great story with smaller reach. Or it could even be world-shaking, but just the entire world is, you know, lower magic. Fair, yeah. And, you know, like, just because you plan a campaign that's going to go to 20 levels doesn't mean it's going to 20 levels. Right. Like, realistically, if you've never had a campaign that made it all the way to 20, maybe just, like, get to 10 first. Yeah. Try that. (laughs) You'd be surprised how easy it is to just make a new big bad after you've actually formally finished a campaign at level 10. Yeah, that's actually totally true. Like, come back to him and be like, you know, do you want to see what those characters are doing? Yeah, because you never tie up every plot thread, right? Yeah, and that's the thing. In game, like if you're if you are these characters, you're not thinking, "Oh, well, we have to get to level 20 before like we've actually saved the world." Right. You yeah. know, like this is only level 11, like don't go all out. Right. And like, no, they're going to make those heroic sacrifices. And this is kind of an interesting way to like convince your players that like this is it, you know, save the world now or else. Yeah. Yeah. End it uh end it with an epilogue. Mm. Though so you know where the players, what they want, what their characters want to do after your campaign ends. And that way there's always an open door to bring them back together. Yeah, and that way you know what your big bad has been doing to screw with them. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> do you hear that, Ishan? Uh, yeah, that's the sound of me fixing my Dark Sun character. Well, if we're fixing character sheets, we might as well move on to the Character Creation Forge. Before we do that, let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane, at Mundangerous, that's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan, at Evil Sends Carne, that's Malice Minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show, at TPTCast. You can also email us if you can fit it into 140 characters at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.TotalPartyThrillCast.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram, at TotalPartyThrill. So this week... In the Character Creation Forge, we are building Conan. You've been reading the books recently, haven't you? Well, it's not really a book. It's a collection of short stories, but I have been reading an <laughs> anthology in <laughs> chronological order of how they were printed. 
Oh, wow. Which is not in chronological order of how they occur, which means it's just a random collection of short stories about yeah, some, it's some like, guy. It's like when I read, you know, Doc Savage books. Yeah, it's yeah. whatever. It's fine. Doc Savage. We should build him. He's kind of like Conan. Anyway, so the reason that we picked Conan for this particular episode is that he's a relatively low-level character, at least in like D&D terms. Yeah, you know? definitely. And he's totally playable early on. So we're actually going to give you two builds. We're giving you the level 20 build, but we're also giving you a Goldilocks level build that you can play pretty much from the get-go. Okay. Of course, for Conan, there are three general components that you need. Got to be the barbarian. Got to be the adventurer. And Conan is the destroyer. That's right. And those map pretty cleanly to barbarian, thief, and fighter. Fortunately... That's actually how he acts <laughs> as well. <laughs> so All sinews and oil. Right. <laughs> yeah, if you read the Conan stories, you hear a lot about sinews. <laughs> yeah, I love that he's either like wrestling a giant beast or some like massive enemy, or he's just like noping out of the whole thing and <laughs> yeah. just like going in the back door and taking stuff and leaving. Yep, just sneaking into the dead of night. <laughs> Or he's stuck in a dungeon wondering by Krom how he got here and why he is so cursed. (laughs) So what's our Conan build? Well, the level 20 build is Berserker Barbarian 7, Battlemaster Fighter 11, Rogue 2. All right, so Barbarian, you've got Frenzy in here, but Conan doesn't really Frenzy very often. Not often, but also like... A berserker barbarian shouldn't frenzy often either. Yeah, that level of exhaustion is pretty rough. Yeah, pretty much the only way to get rid of it is... A long rest. (laughs) Yeah, so like once a day max and probably the end of the day. Right, right. (laughs) But you know, when Conan does frenzy, it's pretty freaking brutal. Yeah. So the barbarian will give you reckless attack, damage resistance while raging... And note that, you know, we don't go bear barbarian, which we almost always do, because Conan isn't, he doesn't really have resistance to, like, magic damage. Or, ele- yeah, elemental stuff. It's its always just, like, he ignores their weapons. Yeah. Uh, unarmored defense, because is- Conan never wears armor. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, where are you going to get all that metal? Well, at the point when he was mounted, uh, when he was riding as a knight, he was actually armored. Yeah, eventually, eventually you can do that, sure. Low levels, you're probably mostly naked. You're lucky if you've got a loincloth. Exactly. Uh, You also have feral instincts, which give you advantage on initiative, because if there's one thing we know about Conan, it is that he is supernaturally fast. And you will also be able to act on your turn in combat, even if you are surprised. So you basically can't be surprised. And then another nice thing for Conan, because... uh, the stories actually do have a lot of supernatural horror, a lot of Lovecraftian horror. Mm-hmm. Uh, mindless rage. Uh, while raging, you are immune to fear and charm. Yeah, and of course you can reflavor that. It doesn't need to be mindless, right? It doesn't need to be foaming at the mouth. Right. But it can be. With 11 levels of fighter, because remember he spent a long time as a gladiator slave, mm-hmm. he's going to get three attacks. Plus, as a battle master, he gets a bunch of different maneuvers, which just really showcase like his prowess as a fighter. Extra attack, obviously, and indomitable, which helps him shrug off those mental effects from spellcasters. Yep. And then, you know, as a fighter, you also get second wind, which is just like that extra reserve of willpower and and willingness to fight that Conan also always has mm-hmm. you know it's like he always gets beaten up a little bit in the beginning by something that's way too strong and way too powerful and just ripped six men in half <laughs> but then like he just he sees the girl in distress and finds something within himself to keep the fight going plus he's got action surge so he can rip it apart with six attacks of his own yeah <laughs> <laughs> and then we've got two levels of rogue which gives him a little sneak attack but that isn't really Conan's thing. It's not that he's like a precise fighter. It's just that he's really, really powerful. Um, but he gets expertise, which is perfect because you don't sneak into the Temple of the Elephant mm. without expertise and sneak. And then you also get cunning action, which gives you a, a good use for your bonus action to kind of hit and run or disengage or um, do any of the various, you know, things that conan needs to do yeah plus also when he needs to run across the countryside with his ranger buddy yep because like they don't have a horse right <laughs> uh, your other expertise is probably going to be what athletics 
because you know you got to do all the grappling yeah a lot of grappling a lot of just straight up resisting being crushed or pulled limb from limb he <laughs> spends a lot of time doing that <laughs> or like climbing just ridiculously high like he climbed the tower <laughs> he climbed like a thousand feet or something crazy just uh don't fail <laughs> right <laughs> all right so your goldilocks build here is level seven you're going to start off Barbarian 1, obviously. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to go straight through five levels of Fighter to get that extra attack. Okay. And then Rogue 1. And that gives you all the components you really need to be Conan. Yeah. Yeah. That gives you the flavor of all of his main roles. Mm-hmm. You still got your Rages and you've got your expertise in both of those skills. You can, if you want, move Rogue a little earlier, but you just be aware you're delaying your extra attack one more round. Yeah. Uh, one more level. Yeah. It's tough to do that. Because you'd be relying on sneak attack to level out your damage at level six. Yeah, but you're probably using a greatsword. Yeah, I mean, you'd have to use like a scimitar, which yeah. Conan does use from time to time. He picks up a lot of lousy weapons. <laughs> <laughs> the riddle of steel is, why can't I keep one weapon? <laughs> right. <laughs> so, Ishin, tell me about your Conan the Barbarian. How did he get this way? Uh, his family was turned into statues of living stone by the evil serpent men from another dimension. Are they from another dimension? I am referencing this solely off of the Conan the Adventurer cartoon. Oh, okay. If you remember where they needed to find star metal to send the serpent men back uh, back to set. Uh, okay. I am thinking of a different story in which there were like ape men. Oh. And he came in with a pirate ship. Conan was also a lot spent a lot of time piracy. That's interesting. Anyway, athletics is great for climbing rigging. Yeah, yeah. So family turned to stone. Got it. I mean, I think. But how did it go? Um, Conan the adventurer, right? And then there was like a voiceover, right? It was like, oh yeah, Conan the mightiest warrior ever. His quest to undo the spell of living stone cast upon his family by driving the evil serpent men back into another dimension. And vanquishing their leader, the cruel wizard Rathamon. And then they sang some more. I look, you just gave us some proper nouns. We got plot hooks. That's right. I think I'm it okay. ran for like twenty-two episodes <laughs> in like nineteen ninety-two. Yeah, it was like a, a direct takeoff of uh, He-Man. <laughs> yeah, and it was definitely one of those things where it was like, oh, and he has an an ally who looks like a Zulu warrior. And another ally who's a female acrobat. And another ally who's like an Asian dude with a flying carpet. Oh, nice. That's just as racist as the original material. Probably. But they were all competent. Well, that's you nice. Know? Right? And it was like a little non-white kid. I was like, oh, good. That's nice. <laughs> I mean, it was the 90s. Perfect. What are you going to do? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and then street sharks happened. So everything, oh, everything got so much better. <laughs> yes. So my Conan, out for vengeance. And of course, I think the the barbarian fighter rogue combination is sort of like the trifecta of effective adventuring. Mm. Okay. Because barbarians, I think barbarians get short shrift on like how good they are as adventurers, like advantage on uh, initiative checks, and you got that trap sense, which we always overlook. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, but yeah, this is a guy who can smash things, but also pick locks. Right. And he's like well trained, so. This, he's the consummate adventurer. What about your Conan? He's a failed adventurer. Oh, really? Yeah, he uh, he's really good at protecting himself, but he's really not good in a party. <laughs> because don't play this character. Because he has a lot of skills that you know the rest of the party could screw up. Well, it's tough to sneak. Mm, I see. You know, like it's it's tough to uh, like when you're when you're built for that kind of solo situation it's tough to to adapt that to a group you know if uh you made him an earth genasi he could just cast paths without trace and everyone could sneak yeah mm-hmm. he, he the could. earth genasi conan yeah it's much more party friendly it doesn't make any sense no it doesn't no. <laughs> <laughs> uh anyway yeah so he's uh mostly a failed adventurer who is now just trying to do whatever he can to keep himself alive and and maybe find that one party that doesn't die on him <laughs> are you good enough to adventure with me right exactly <laughs> i didn't hear you coming good yeah 
All right. If you want to support the show, the easiest way to do that is to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. And if you're willing to help us out, we'll read your five-star review on the air. You can also find us on Stitcher. It's like a Pandora for podcasts. If you like or favorite us there, the algorithm will help other people find us. And we do have one review today. This is Helpful and Enjoyable Podcast, Five Stars, by FailedSave03. As a longtime player and first-time DM, I think this podcast has helped me run a much better campaign than I would have otherwise. Thanks. Hosts Ishan and Shane give a ton of great ideas and tabletop RPG advice and are mindful of the 5e system without getting into way too much on-air rules crunching. They go out of their way to try and be inclusive for all their listeners and have created a really welcoming and informative podcast. Highly recommended. Well, thank you for that. So what do we have planned for next week's episode? We're talking about reflavoring. We're going to go to Reflavor Town with Guy Fieri. He's also what we're building in the character creation forge. Okay, sounds great. That's it for episode 85 of Total Party. Wait, no. No, no let's not do that. <laughs> what are we actually building in the character creation forge? We are building a heavily reflavored Captain America. All right, that's actually it for episode 85 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we've lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening. All right, do you hear that, Ishan? That is the sound of me ending this campaign early. I don't know what sound that is. Crumbling, crumbling stone. <laughs> scribbling, scribbling paper. <laughs> Why did you not go with optimizing your dark side character? <laughs> Re-optimizing. I'm, I'm fixing my dark side character. That is, I'm want, always fixing my dark side character. Do we want to try this again? Sure. <laughs>